Good morning, church. It's so good to hear all the conversations taking place. Uh, welcome. My name's Steve. Uh, if we haven't met, I'm one of the elders here at ICON. Uh, I'm going to be doing the scripture reading here in a minute. Uh, and so in preparation for that, we're going to be reading from Psalm 66. If you didn't bring a Bible, I'd welcome you to grab your Bible. Uh, there's Bibles in the pews, blue Bibles like this, and you can turn to page 532 uh, and read along with me uh, in a minute. Uh, yeah, I'll, uh, we're gonna, and we'll stand for the reading of the scripture, um, but I'm just gonna introduce Nick really briefly. Yeah, so stand, stand. Yeah, yeah standing is good, standing is good. Um, so uh, yeah, first let me introduce, uh, so, uh, Nick Parsons is going to be our speaker today, and I'm really excited to welcome him here uh, this morning. Uh, Nick has uh, Nick was originally born in Phoenix, Arizona, for any uh, Arizona people. Uh, attended Ozark College in Missouri, uh, and then has spent the better part of 20 years committing his life to church planting all over the world, first in Thailand, Japan, New York City. Uh, and he now lives in San Francisco uh, with his wife, Rachel. And uh, to meet Nick, just as an aside, uh, you would think super chill, and you would never guess that this man is the father of five children. Uh, but uh, true fact. Uh, so uh, Nick is currently the executive director of Stratum, uh, which is an amazing organization that resources uh, pastors and church planters in San Francisco. Uh, and he's also uh, the director for recruiting of church planters uh, at a group called Orchard Group. And Orchard Group has been around ch planting churches in the US for over 60 years. And they are uh, a very important part of the origin story of ICON and uh, Nick as well. Uh, so or Orchard Group uh, was the group that uh, brought together uh, multiple churches to uh, provide support and guidance and direction for ICON uh, as it launched out as a brand new church plant. And Nick uh, has been there in the background, so many of you may not know Nick, but he uh, is familiar with you and our church story and has been, uh, been with us through all the, the twists and turns of ICON over the last few years. And so I'm really grateful to, to him uh, for the way in which he has loved and supported ICON, and we're really excited uh, to hear what God has put on his heart uh, today for us uh, as part of Psalm 66. So let's, uh, let's all read together. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of men. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him, who rules by his might forever whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. 
you laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. I will come into the house with burnt, into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you. That which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals. With the smoke of the sacrifice of rams, I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Icon. Uh, it's really it's fun for me to be here on a number, a number of fronts. Uh, Steve, his really kind introduction, mentioned different ways that I've been able to serve Icon or be a part of Icon's story from the beginning. Uh, I can remember going to uh, Rebecca, is it McLaughlin, McLaughlin event in Capitol Hill? I don't know if anybody went to that, like pre-Icon even starting. Uh, and I've worshipped in this building, and usually I've just been able to come and peek in and see, but there was a season in which Icon Church was incredibly helpful to me. Uh, I was attending a church in San Francisco, a new church plant called Bay City Church, and during the pandemic when we moved to everything to Icon was insanely generous to allow us, they, like when the, when the pandemic happened, they sent a film team down and helped us film a series of sermons. We came up and they filmed stuff and we did sort of a collaborative series together. And so like when we, our church was in a really difficult season, Icon was super helpful in serving us when it was a difficult season for you as well. And so thank you guys. So it's just a privilege for me to be here uh, with you guys. Um, yeah, so thanks for having me. Um, I do have five kids, it is wild, isn't it? Um, I always joke, I live, I live like in San Francisco, San Francisco, and people are, you know, always like, yeah, I have five kids. I'm like, if I can have five, you can have one. You can do it. You can stay. Um, okay, so today we have the privilege of studying Psalm 66. If you have a Bible open, you can keep it open. We're going to be there really the whole time. Uh, psalm 66 is a psalm about difficulty. It's a psalm about facing hardship and suffering. Uh, it's a psalm for the weary. And like all of the psalms, this one invites us to join into the psalmist's experience, to understand the, author or, uh, the author's story or point of view, and then to join it, like to literally sing their experience as our own. Like the psalms were designed to be the hymn book of the people of God, both Israel and then the church. And so they're often the inspiration for songs we sing. So the psalms, like if you think about it, they're literally songs designed for us to join and sing. And so today, if you're facing hardship in whatever way you might be, if you're facing trials or suffering, if you are tired or you feel broken, this psalm for the Bible, this song is for you. Uh, very little is told to us about the context of Psalm 66. Uh, we don't know the specific author. Sometimes if you're in the Bible and you're reading the Psalms, there's like a little note ahead that kind of tells you something about it. Uh, we don't know very much. Some people wonder if it might have been David. Other people might hypothesize that it was Hezekiah, one of the kings of Judah. We really don't know who wrote this psalm. Uh, we don't know the context that it was written either. We don't know it was this event or this season of Israel's history in which this psalm was written. All we know from the note, according to the psalms, uh, is that it was written for the choir master. 
Uh, and it was a song designed to be sung by others. And like much of Hebrew poetry, if you've ever studied it or read it, uh, the author has actually placed kind of the point of the song, the heart of the song, uh, the key point of the passage in the very middle. So I want to read for you this middle section, the catalyst for why the psalm was written. This is Psalm 66, verses 10 through 12. It says this, For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You have brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. It's a, it's a realistic psalm, and yet at the same time, a song of hope. And the author of this psalm, he stands kind of on the other side of a series of trials uh, that they have endured and that they persevered in. And so this psalmist, he's gone through something really difficult. He's gone through some kind of pain, and he's reporting back to us not only kind of the experience of their suffering, but also some lessons that he's learned. Some ways that he has, and then we might learn how to endure and respond to our own season of trials and hardships. Uh, it should be said from the outset, when you're going through like a difficult time, there's nothing more frustrating or more hurtful or annoying uh, than hearing simplistic answers in the midst of a serious trial. Like when you're hurting, or you're going through something heavy, uh, you don't want to hear someone say, it's all going to be okay. It's going to be good. God's got a plan, right? Classic, our thoughts and prayers with you text or tweet or whatever we do these days, um, especially from someone we think has like no idea this, what we're going through or no idea the seriousness of what we feel. That kind of answer can sometimes feel really off-putting, right? Even if the answers that people give us are like true, even if the person means well, when we're hurting, we don't want to hear that kind of thing. We want to shout, you don't understand. You have no idea what I'm going through, no idea what I'm feeling right now, so keep your simplistic answers to yourself. But if when we're suffering, if when we're going through something difficult, we hear someone say something like, I remember when my husband died. I remember when I had another miscarriage. I remember when I lost my job, when I was assaulted, when I was sick. I remember when our church was in crisis, something changes in how we hear that person, right? When someone listens empathetically and then responds in vulnerability and shares their own story, their own experience, they say something like that, we have like new ears to hear them. And we begin to think that maybe this is someone that might, might have a chance to understand what we're going through. And so while their issues might be different, when we encounter someone who has stood in our shoes or in shoes like ours, who has faced serious trial and difficulty, it opens up our hearts. Something changes when we're with someone like that. We know we're not alone. We're reminded that there are others who have journeyed on this path before us and that they may have some wisdom to share with us along the way. I can remember when my wife, Rachel, uh, we've been married, this is our 20th anniversary, it was this last January, um, which is awesome. Uh, and I can remember when we faced one of our most serious seasons of trial. It was probably like, Probably three years into our marriage, uh, we were missionaries, we were in Bangkok, Thailand, uh, we were serving a new, a new church there, um, and all of a sudden Rachel started having really serious seizures, like, uh, like they used to call them grandma seizures, but like the seizure where shake, fall down, you're unconscious, and just like totally out of the blue. Um, and this is obviously super concerning. Uh, we had young kids at the time, two young kids, and we didn't know what was causing these seizures. We had zero idea. And usually when something that happens, you fear the worst. Uh, brain tumor, neurological disease, like, you know, it's not a normal thing. And so we began this myriad of tests, going to the doctor for every kind of test you can imagine. 
And we didn't want simple answers. And I can remember in this season that I just was very mad at God. Like, God, how could you do this to my wife, to our family? We're out here serving you, God. How could you do this? Why, where are you in the middle of this trial? And I can remember one of the things that was super comforting to me in that time was that I had people in my life who had faced serious difficulties as well. I had a friend and a mentor who had lost a teenage son in a car accident uh, that he was driving, along with his, his wife and his daughter were in the car as well, but his son was driving and was killed in the accident. Uh, I had another very close friend whose spouse had uh, progressive debil debilitating MS for a decade, and I'd, I'd seen her go from a gymnast to someone that he uh, fed with a spoon um, who couldn't walk. Uh, and these were people whose lives I could look at and I could be encouraged by, even inspired by, uh, that they were people that were faithful to God even when they had faced crushing difficulties and trials. And so in this psalm, Psalm 66, the psalmist is really offering to play a role like that for us today. The author speaks to us out of the overflow of their own experience of difficulty. This isn't just like happy, inspirational Christian mug material, okay? This is someone who's like really gone through some hard stuff and is saying, I get it, let me share some wisdom with you along the way. Like I said, they're on the other side, they're looking back for our benefit. Uh, this section ends, uh, verse 12, verses 10 to 12 ends with this, uh, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. The counsel given in this psalm is from someone who's endured great trials and speaks wisdom and hope from the other side. Having remained faithful to God in the midst, and so the psalmist is not just able to empathize with us, not just able to, uh, to, to be kind, but they're also able to provide counsel and wisdom as uh, how we can endure in times of difficulty and hardship as well. And so as we look at this psalm today, I just want to give us, offer kind of five things that this psalm teaches us, some of which are kind of counterintuitive uh, for how we might better face trials and difficulties of our own. So five things that we can do now uh, to help us in the midst of our difficulties, okay? Number one, the first thing Psalm 66 teaches us when we face hardships is that we must sing. We must sing. I don't like singing, if I'm like 100% honest. Like, I'm the guy that like the worship time is like, dang, I gotta sing. You know what I'm saying? The singing was great today. Other people love singing. I'm just not someone who loves singing. But the psalmist like commands sort of sing, right? This is how this thing begins. Sing, it's a command. This is a song. And the psalmist is clear that one of the ways that we can be strengthened in our time of difficulty is to sing, and not just to sing, but to sing joyfully. Verse 1 through 4 starts the psalm like this. Shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Three times in that section we're told to sing. So if you're like me and you don't like to sing, sorry, buckle up. You got to sing. We are told to shout in joy and say aloud, how awesome are your deeds. And when we're in the middle of something difficult, singing for joy might seem like a kind of living in denial. Does anyone feel that way? Like, when I don't feel like singing, I shouldn't have to sing. Ignoring or repressing our true feelings. And, and I want to be clear that the Psalms, like, don't teach us to do that, to repress or ignore our feelings. If you read the Psalms, if you ever have, there are a number of, like, surprisingly honest psalms in the Bible that show people crying out to God in despair, in anger. Uh, the Bible is refreshingly honest in the psalms. And I can remember when Rachel and I we were in the middle of that season with she had her seizure, uh, we were trying to figure out what was causing this. I was so mad at God. I can remember like literally cursing at God. 
Like, not like church words, like, gosh darn it, you God. It was like, beep out the words, words, you know what I mean, if it was a video. Um, Cussing at God. And I was furious, and I remember feeling like, I just need to tell God how I feel about him. But it's not all that I told him. There was a point in this process that I needed to stop allowing my feelings to control me. I needed to acknowledge my feelings, but also to not allow them to dictate everything I thought about reality. Because we know this, if we're immature, our feelings are not always reliable. They're one indicator we have, an important one. They tell us something, but they don't tell us everything. And underneath my feelings in that season, there was a question, right? There was a number of questions. And the question beneath those feelings was, is God good? Is God trustworthy? Is God good even in a season that I'm in the midst of pain and, and, and my wife is sick? Is God still good? And this psalm teaches us that sometimes we need to sing something that we don't yet feel or we don't presently in that moment feel because we believe it's true. Uh, it's not a denial of the reality of our feelings. It's not a denial. It's just a refusal to be governed by our feelings alone. Singing words of praise to God is speaking truth to the sometimes overwhelming power of our emotions. Uh, biologically, there's actually some really interesting stuff uh, about this. Biologically, singing strengthens and reinforces important like neural pathways in our minds. Um, and when we re- reinforce these neural pathways that, we, that are, we go to in times of grief or sadness or, or whatever, um, it's a helpful thing. And when we enforce those with hope and truth, when you get to a season of sadness or despair and you've sung songs of lament or you've sung songs of joy, your brain will be, will, it will be easier to move out of that season or move through that into a healthy place. It's a pretty interesting thing. Uh, it, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. If you think about the way singing, uh, even when we don't feel something can really be inspirational. If you think of uh, the states and African slaves that were brought here who sung spiritual songs of hope in the midst of brutal, enduring injustice. Uh, they were not just governed by their feelings, right? Their circumstances didn't dictate their faith. No, they sung prophetically songs of joy, songs of hope, and gospel music was born, a, a kind of music that's literally encouraged generations of people after that. They refused to be governed by their feelings or circumstances. No, instead, they sung songs of hope, of faith, and Psalm 66 teaches us something like that. It teaches us how to face hardship and trials and how to sing in the midst of those. Okay. Second thing Psalm 66 teaches us is that when we face hardship, we must, number two, remember. Remember. When we face trials, we need to remember. Verse 5, it begins a section in which the psalmist remembers that God, how God has acted in relation to the people of Israel. I want to read that to you. This is verses 5 through 9. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of men. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples, let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. It's been noted by a number of commentators that Psalm 66 kind of follows a unique pattern which the psalm kind of begins with a broad audience and becomes increasingly specific. If you were to study the psalm, you'd notice this pattern or this, this shape, uh, that it kind of moves from the universal to the national and then kind of to the individual. And at first, the psalmist addresses the whole world with phrases like, shout to joy for, to God, all the earth. That's verse 1. Or verse 4 says, all the earth worships you. 
Or verse 5, he is awesome in his deeds towards the children of men. This phrase, children of men, humanity, mankind. It's this big, global kind of picture. And the author of the Psalms begins with the world in mind, reminding the leader, the singer, the reader or the singer, that God is the God of the whole world. Uh, this psalm begins by kind of broadening our minds and our perspectives, our vision, reminding us that God is not just our personal deity. He's just not your God or my God or a God. He's the God over all people, over all cultures, over all periods of time. And he's actually the God over everything, for every God, every culture, every people. Not just one God, not just one person, not one people, not one time. And don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I don't think the psalmist is like advocating uh, kind of ideas of like postmodern Western philosophy that every culture's view of God is correct. Uh, I don't think that's true. I don't think that's what we're saying here. Mutually contradictory ideas of God like aren't true. Uh, and the psalmist, there's not agreeing with like that kind of idea that like every worldview has bits of truth about God, but none have unique access to the truth. You know, I don't think, maybe you guys have ever heard this if you took a religion class, you know, like I don't think the psalmist is affirming that all religions are just, you know, like the blind man feeling a piece of the elephant or whatever that, that phrase, that analogy is. But I think what the psalmist is really doing is that reminding us here, reminding us today, uh, individual people in Seattle, myself in San Francisco, that we don't have a monopoly on experience with God. It is not to affirm like pluralism, the person or the kind of people that think everyone is right, but to confront the individualist who thinks I'm right. My individual experience with, with God is only right. The psalmist reminds us here that God is bigger than any of us, that his, his, what's going on in the world is bigger than any of us, that he is bigger than our suffering and our trials, whether individual or national. And God is and has been sovereign over every nation, over every trial that has ever been faced. You watch the news, we can get overwhelmed by that, but to remind ourselves that no, God has been God in control through all in time and history, over every nation, over every place, over all time. Some of us need to just remember that truth today. He's not anxious, he's not worried, he's not distant. He's been present throughout all time and history. And as the psalm progresses, the focus narrows, and the psalmist begins to describe how God has specifically been faithful to the people of Israel. Uh, while God reminds us that he's the God of the whole world, he also wants us to remember that God has been specifically faithful to his people, uniquely faithful to his people. Uh, the psalmist remember, remembers in verse 6, he says this, He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him. And what the psalmist is kind of like name-checking there is recounting how 400 years of slavery that, that people of Israel were in slavery to pharaohs in Egypt and how God rescued the Israelites and brought them out of Egypt into the promised land to begin a new nation for themselves. Uh, during this rescue, God uses Moses to bring the Hebrews to the edge of the Red Sea. The armies of the Egyptian pharaoh, you know, if you've seen the movie, you read the book, right? Uh, we're closing in on them and then God shows up. And you're probably familiar with the story, but sometimes we forget the details. And during that trial, the Israelites actually had lost confidence in God. They had lost confidence, and they'd lost faith in Moses. They were facing a hardship and a trial, and they wavered in their faith. And I want to read to you Exodus 14, 10 through 18, just to put us in this place again. This is Exodus 14, 10 through 18. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their highs, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. 
That's the place they're in. And then Moses says to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots, and his horsemen. The psalmist remember, reminds the original Jewish audience and us today that there have been other times in which we were afraid, other times in which we have lost faith, and yet do we remember how God showed up? God did not abandon them. God showed up and he rescued them. And I just want to ask you, and this is not a rhetorical question, it's just a real question for you to ponder in this moment. Do you have a, like, a story like that that you need to remember? A time in which God showed up. Can you look back in your life and remember a season in which God showed up and rescued you? A, a marriage that was saved, a, a time of grief that was healed, a depression, a season that had been endured, a body that's been restored, a, a relationship that's been reconciled. Do you have times in which your own story, you can look back and say, God has been faithful. Maybe in your present season of trial, whatever it is, it'd be good to remember a past time in which God showed up. And what if you're someone like, I can't think of anything. I can't think of any time that God has showed up for me. Let me offer you this. Maybe this present will be a time and you look back on your future to be encouraged by. Maybe this moment that you're enduring today will be your encouragement tomorrow or years into the future. Remembering reminds us that that's possible. And Psalm 66 teaches us that when we face hot trials and hardship, we need to remember God's faithfulness in our stories. And so maybe this week you can take some time to write out some ways God has been faithful to you in the past. Times when you had a lot of faith or you had fear or anxiety and yet God showed up. Maybe it's a chance to share some times of these times with friends, to, to meet with someone and just say, if you guys have a small group, like what are some times that God has showed up in my story? What are some times in which we were afraid and yet God provided and delivered? We need to remember those times if we are to endure in seasons of difficulty and crisis. Uh, the third thing Psalm 66 teaches us when we face hardship, number three, believe. Believe. When we face hardship, we need to believe. Uh, God had rescued the people of Israel time and time again. He had been faithful to defeat their enemies, to save them from death and defeat. But when we come to these verses in verses, verses 10 through 12 uh, that I said are kind of the heart or the crux of the psalm, the psalmist describes God's actions a little bit differently. God isn't just described as the people's rescuer, right? He's actually in some ways behind their trials. There's a bit of mystery here. Let me read it again. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you have brought us to a place of abundance. And this could be, through that lens, a difficult text to understand, and yet this isn't the sermon to like parse out free will and sovereignty and how God is control, and yet the world is still freely, uh, people is still broken by and, and marked by rebellion and sin. Uh, these are important issues, there's important answers. But what I really want to just highlight here is that the psalmist is able to praise God even while he maintains that God is fully in control when something bad happens. Right? He's fully in control during this hot trial and hardship. I think many of us, we can get stuck uh, 
in these times when we think, you know, if God is good and something bad happens, then he must not be in control. Or we think if God's in control and something bad happens, then he must not be good, right? We, we, we wrestle with those ideas. But the psalmist, it's interesting, doesn't seem to get stuck on either of those two conclusions. Like, he, he's fully aware that God is good and God was in control. It's interesting. Uh, and, and I kind of wonder why. You know, I, sometimes I, I wonder why, and here's my best guess. I think the psalmist sees his difficulties as circumstances used by God for the psalmist's benefit and refinement. He sees even the hardest things he's gone through as something God uses to refine, to benefit, to help him, which is amazing. It's not just endurance. It's God reversing the, what was meant for bad for our good. It's incredible. Uh, I love how Augustine, the fourth century African scholar, he commented on this psalm, and he said this, "'You have not fired us like hay, but like silver. Applying to us fire, you have not turned us into ashes, but you have washed off our uncleanliness.'" You brought us into the net, not that we might be caught and die, but that we might be tried and delivered from it. You laid a crushing burden on our backs, for in our pride we had lifted ourselves up, but we were bowed down in order that being bowed down we should be lifted up for good. It's amazing, right? I love that perspective. I love to think that God is so powerful that not only can he help us endure, he can actually use those hard things for our benefit or for the benefit of others. And yet I know how difficult it is to maintain that perspective. Do you believe that God is powerful enough to use what you are going through right now to ultimately refine and benefit you? How about using this present trial to benefit others? Is it possible that God is working out this difficulty in your life for the good or the greater good of someone else? Do you believe that? Psalm 66 teaches us that we must believe that God can redeem or use any hardship for our good and for the good of others. Okay, fourth thing, Psalm 66 teaches when we face hardship. Number four, we must obey. Obey. When we face hardships and trials, we must obey. Uh, Psalm 66 continues, the focus of the psalm becomes more personal. That shape of universal, national, personal is happening. And beginning in verse 13 through the end of the psalm, the psalmist now uses personal pronouns. The text is now their own personal story. Let me read verse 13 through 15. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered, and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. The psalmist now reflects on their life after facing hardship and commits to a life of sacrificial obedience. He will follow through with the things that he vowed to do when he was in trouble. He will obey the statutes of God that God called the Israelites to do in the Old Testament. He will give back sacrificially to God because what God has done for him. But I know, and this is true, it's very easy for us, very easy for me, to stop obeying God when things are difficult, right? When things are difficult, when we feel overwhelmed, we feel burdened, and so we begin to tell ourselves things that we're entitled to some kind of disobedience, Uh, Often that looks like indulgence, right, where we are overdoing something that we know is wrong. Some of us are prone to sin like that in seasons of hardship. And others of us might react like the opposite way. We don't become indulgent, we become stingy. We we, we tell ourselves, you know, with everything I'm going through or I have gone through, I don't need to do some things anymore. I don't need to be patient. I don't need to forgive. I don't need to serve. I don't need to be generous. I'm going through something difficult. And so you might look about yourself and think about yourself, am I prone to indulgence? Am I prone to stinginess? But when the psalmist demonstrates obedience 
here. They're showing us an alternate path. And one of the ways that we can endure in times of difficulty is by simple obedience. We do what God calls us to do. We live the life Jesus modeled for us, and we reject the temptation to stinginess or indulgence. I can remember my father-in-law one time. I was going through a difficult season, and uh, I didn't know what to do. And there was a number of decisions that had to be made. And he just said, well, just do the things you know to, you know how, you know to do. Read your Bible and pray. Love my daughter. Love my, kid, you know, my grandkids. Things will work out. It's amazing how often that's true. Do the things you know to do. Be obedient in the places you know. And as you go forward, the, the road will become clear. And this might be another time for you if you have a group today or a good friend to meet with and say, hey, here's something that I'm tempted toward in a season of difficulty, in a season of hardship. Will you pray for me and check in with me about this? Maybe it's an issue of indulgence, maybe an issue of stinginess, but can we gather together as a community or can you gather together with close friends and, and, and share one another's burdens so that you're not doing this alone? Uh, Psalm 66 teaches that obedience to God is one of the right responses to hardships. All right, fifth thing, last thing uh, that Psalm 66 teaches us when we face hardship, number five, tell someone. Tell someone. The final call from Psalm 66 is that we are supposed to share our experience with others. Verse 16 through 19 says this, Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened, but truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. I believe that we need to tell people about our experience. It's what the psalmist is doing in writing this. It's what they're saying they're doing here. Uh, in and after our trials. We need to be talking to people during and after our seasons of difficulty. We need to share with others during our trials because we need people to be praying for us. We need to hear their stories back. Uh, we need people to listen and empathize with us. Uh, we need to hear other people's stories as well so that we recognize that we're not the only ones who are facing burdens and difficulty, right? We need to, that, that, that conversation with one another we need. And I, I, this part I just really believe is really true, that none of us are meant to suffer in isolation. None of us are meant to struggle alone. But that's what so many of us choose to do when things are difficult. I don't know if it's pride or if it's fear or it's a, a fear of vulnerability, but I want to be clear, nobody gets better in isolation. Nobody gets better in isolation. And there's this dynamic that I've noticed over the years that happens when people go through a hard time. I've done this myself in seasons. And it looks something like this, you know. I start to feel overwhelmed, going through something difficult. And so I have this feeling that I need to, like, care for myself. I need to pull back from relationships to, like, take care of myself. And that sounds like wisdom, right? And it sounds really good. And so people give us distance. Like, hey, they're going through something difficult. Let's give them some space. And so if we're involved at church, we pull back, we drop out of our small group, we stop serving, we stop attending, or we stop, uh, we, we, just, we just start to isolate and, and drop out of Christian community, and we begin to self-isolate. And here I've noticed this again and again, that when we do this, we don't actually get better. We don't get better. If anything, we elongate the trouble, we pause the healing process. Usually we stagnate or we spiral. In isolation, our problems grow, and we have cut ourselves off from the very mechanisms, Christian community, that God has given us to help us through our trial. If you guys have ever gone to, like, counseling or done therapy, and you never, you know, there, there's this, there, things don't get better until you start to talk about the stuff that's messed you up, right? This is the dynamic we're talking about in macro and in micro, that it's not until we re-engage with others that we begin to experience breakthroughs. So let us not pull back from one another. 
But when we are in the middle of trials and hardships, let us work together to press into relationships with one another, especially when we feel overwhelmed. Like when you feel overwhelmed, that's like a, your car indicator light, not saying, don't say pull away to take care of yourself, but saying press in to get better, press into others. We need to tell people not just during these times, but also after, okay? Also, once we're on the other side of trials we, that we've endured, other difficulties, on the other side of those things, we want to share and testify how God has brought us out of that. So there's this dynamic where we need to share in the middle, and there's a dynamic we need to share after. That's why the psalmist writes this song. It's an author sharing their story on the other side with us, and he calls us to go and to do the same. Uh, for me, when, when my wife Rachel was going through that really difficult time, after all of the CT scans and the MRIs and the blood work and doctor's visits, uh, we sat with a neurologist, and they basically said, hey, we've got good news. We have no idea why your wife is having seizures. That doesn't feel like good news. <laughs> that doesn't, that's not what I expected to be good news. And they said, you know what? Like the truth is in this situation, if we can't find a tumor or some kind of imbalance or something, that's like the best case scenario. And so enjoy it. Like that's what it is. And, uh, and I just remember it, it took us a long time to realize, okay, I guess this is the, this is the good, this is the way the story works out well. And uh, for the past 15 years, my wife has managed seizures with medication. I mean, it's, it's a little bit bumpy, but um, for the most part, if she's taken her medicine, um, she doesn't have a seizure and we're able to manage a normal life. We've had more kids. I don't know why so many again, um, but she lives a normal life. She teaches second grade. We have kids, all that stuff. And this thing that we thought could like just ruin our lives, change our lives, destroy our lives, ended up being something that's very much just like a footnote story. An important one, one that shaped a lot of things. What's really interesting about it is that season was this critical season that really developed uh, our, our trust in God, that we believe that if after that story that everything could fall apart and it would be okay. We would be okay, God would be okay, everything would be okay. And I'm happy to tell you guys about that today. I'm happy to share stories like that, you know? Not because, just because it's a happy story, because I could tell you all kinds of stories, even stories that we're in the middle of, right, that are, that are difficult, and I don't know how they're gonna end, and I don't know what it's gonna look like, but I do know because of those past stories that God is faithful, that he's reliable, that he's trustworthy, that if we do the things here, that if we sing, that if we remember, that if we believe, that if we press into one another in community, that if we tell one another our stories, that it's gonna be okay. So Icon, let's tell one another our stories of God's goodness and faithfulness. Let's tell people inside and outside of the church. Let's testify to encourage one another. Let's testify those who don't yet believe so they might be drawn to us, drawn to God in faith. They can be helped by God in their times of difficulty and trial and struggle. And we may not have all the answers to how this is all going to work out, but each of us has the ability to tell the story, to testify to God's faithfulness in our lives, to tell people how God has been true, how God has, has brought us hope. And I just want to say for the Christian, as we tell these stories, we remember the story, the center of our story is the person of Jesus. It's, it's part of what enables us to not get funky, you know, and it's why Christianity is called Christianity and not Christianism, because it's around a person, a, a real person who lived and died as God and rose again. It's not a philosophy. It's not a set of beliefs. It's a person who lived a story. And ultimately, for the Christian, this psalm should teach us that Jesus is who we sing about. It's why we sing about him 
and worship. Jesus is who we remember. It's what we do in communion, which we're going to do in a little bit. Jesus is who we believe in, and who we, that's what we do when we declare our faith in baptism. And Jesus is who we obey. That's what we do when we're serving and obeying him. And Jesus is who we tell people about. That's why we have sermons in the beginning, right? Jesus is the center of this story. And it's Jesus' death and resurrection which ultimately makes our hardship bearable. He understands difficulty, and yet he has triumphed. And I truly believe there's no greater answer to whatever trial you are facing or you will ever face than to be in a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, another Augustine quote that I love, he says this, God had one son on earth without sin, but never one without suffering. This is the hope of the gospel. That Jesus lived a life that we couldn't and haven't lived, a life free from sin. And yet he understands our suffering because he lived a fully human life with all of its struggles, with all of its temptations, with all of the trials, and yet he endured. And if we look to him, we also can endure. Hebrews 10, 14 sums this up, and I love this passage. It says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. That's my prayer, guys, that we would draw near to God in our times of difficulty, that we would find grace and mercy and help in our time of need. And so today, each of us have an opportunity to cry out for mercy, to find grace in our time of difficulty. Whether you're a follower of Jesus and have been for a long time and you want to cry out to him again, or if you're new, for some reason, showed up and you're like, what's up with this stuff? It's an opportunity we're going to have in a few moments to cry out to God, to Jesus, uh, and to ask him to help you in your time of need. And it's Jesus, ultimately, who allows us to say, like the psalmist concludes this psalm, verse 20, blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. So I'm going to pray. We're going to have a time of silence, a time of silent reflection, uh, a moment for you to reflect, to do some business with God, to think about, is there anything you need to say to him? Is there anything you need to hear him say to you? And just a time to silently reflect on our difficulty and God's provision. And then we're going to have a time of communion. The band is going to play a song, uh, and it'll be a time for us really to see how God provides in all difficulty, that he provided Jesus Christ, uh, his death, his resurrection, his perfect son, who is the reason we can cry out to God, the reason that we can draw near to him in times of difficulty. And so if you're a Christian and you uh, want to partake in communion, there'll be an opportunity to do that. There's tables on the side and grab one of the communion things and take that at kind of your pace. And it's just a chance for us to respond uh, in faith to what God has done for us through Christ. So thank you for having me. Thank you for inviting me into this season of challenge uh, here at Icon. And I just pray uh, that God would be present here. So let me pray for us, and then we'll have our time of silent reflection. God, you are faithful. And if we have journeyed with you, we know that. We have seen that in our stories, that you are faithful. Even when everything seems like it's going wrong, when everything seems like it's falling apart, when I don't know the answers, when I don't know what's going to happen next, God, you are faithful. And God, I'm also so grateful that you've given us Jesus Christ as an example and as a model of what it looks like to live a full life with all of the difficulties and hardships and trials and temptations. God, I pray that you would allow us to cling to him in faith throughout this season and in any season of difficulty we face. It's in his name we pray.
This teaching was recorded as part of our current sermon series at Icon Church. During our weekly gatherings, we move from the teaching to a time of response. While we recognize it may be hard to capture that as you listen online, we encourage you to take a moment to reflect on and respond to what the Spirit might be telling you in response to what you heard. For more resources and to find out how you can join with us on gathering on Sundays, visit iconchurch.org. And as we say each week, Christ is all and we are His.